Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. I'm Tony, and we are a part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. You can check us out at reformpodcast.com. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Tony, how the heck are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Your voice sounds great. Yeah, it's a super expensive microphone that I have. We're back to, oh, it's just the microphone. It's, it's, it's just all the technology. Microphone. Yep. I actually yeah. sound like a screeching monkey, so I'm just I'm just filtering it really well. <laughs> so what's on our agenda for tonight? What kind of great conversation, riveting dialogue are we about to have? So uh, we just started, as I mentioned, this new podcast network called the Society of Reform Podcasters. And I don't know if any of our listeners have started a, like a new group or a new organization, but one of the things you have to do is you kind of have to define what you are. And so as we were discussing what we wanted to be, we land, you know, we wanted to be a group of reform podcasters. We had to sort of decide what does that mean? So tonight I wanted to talk about the three parentheses for um, C's that define what it is to be reformed. Man, there's nothing like a good alliteration. So I'm pretty stoked about this. Yes. Yeah. Grammar nerds everywhere. Loving this. So, and then when we're done with that, we want to get into something a little bit more personal. Um, and we want to launch uh, something we're pretty excited about. So are you ready to rock and roll? I am. This is the best of all things. Alliterations, a little personal time. I mean, based on the fact that last time we recorded, you and I were basically, we could have touched noses if we just turned in the same direction. I'm yeah. looking forward to this kind of intimacy. Yeah, that was definitely personal time on a different level. <laughs> best podcast ever. All right. So yes. give us some background on what's this whole Society of Reform Podcasters. Yeah, so the Society of Reform Podcasters uh, currently is four podcasts. Um, it's our podcast, and then uh, the Reformed Outlook with Matt Butts and insert guest host of the week uh, for that show. He's still on a rotating schedule, um, and then Fast God stuff with you and Conrad, and then uh, Five for Fruit with Carrie Gephardt, which is um, a great little show, five minutes um, packed with information. It's really great for like if you are just walking to the bus stop or something like that. It's short and it's to the point. Right on. <laughs> I know, I, it was so good. Yeah. Bus stop sanctification with Carrie is what it should be called. It's fantastic. <laughs> that's, that's a good name for the show. We should suggest the, the name change. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Carrie, get at us. So what, what's interesting um, I find about this group of people is that um, if you were to look at us, we don't all match. Like we're not exactly the same. So we're not all Presbyterians. We're not all Baptists. We don't all go to First Presbyterian of insert city here. We don't go to local Baptist church of this county here. Um, we all have our own kind of unique situations that we're in. And so when we were talking about like, what does it mean to be reformed? We recognized that we needed to put some definition around that. And this is like a classic question. Anytime you're in like a reform group. So in like, in my mind, like the reform pub comes to mind, but anytime you're in like a group of reform people, there's discussion and debate and arguments over what does it really mean to be reformed? Um, the Presbyterians are saying, well, you got to baptize babies. The Baptists are saying, well, you have to completely be regulated by the, the, the scriptures and so this infant baptism stuff and everybody's kind of like arguing back and forth 
about what it means to be reformed. So what tends to be the common agreed definition is Calvinistic, which we'll get into, um, covenantal, and then confessional and creedal. So we're going to change that up a little bit. Calvinistic, yes. Covenantal, yes. And we're going to use the term Catholic instead of creedal, and I'll I'll kind of explain that. And then we're going to put with a little asterisk confessional, um, because I think that depending on your group, that can actually be a little bit too restrictive at times. Right. So how would you define Calvinistic? Oh, good. That's a really easy question for an hour long <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we just wanted to spend like 30 seconds on this. I think when we kind of envisioned putting that all together, we were thinking of it in its kind of writ large sense, like tulip, five point, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. So, and that'll be common probably to like a lot of people who are listening to this. So we were, right. we were thinking of it in its kind of conventional or traditional way with all of its particular distinctives, but mainly it's the idea of rediscovering the gospel, putting the scriptures as the full counsel of God first before all things as the rule of life, as the sieve for everything that we process. And um, yeah, I mean, just, just kind of making sure that God's sovereignty was, was paramount in what we were doing and, and uniting around that kind of idea. Yeah. And so I would also add, and it's kind of embedded in most of these, I would add the five kind of solas of the Reformation, right? Sure. So you have sola scriptura, scripture alone, uh, sola fide, which is faith alone, sola gratia, which is grace alone, um, sola deo gloria, kind of meaning that God's glory is the sort of overarching uh, supreme thing and that God is the only one that we worship. And then solus Christus, which is that we're saved by Christ alone. So kind of to the exclusion of our own merit and to the exclusion of the merit of the saints or the merit of Mary. Um, so I would add those. And what I think that we're going to find, and, and this is part of the reason in my mind that we took confessional and kind of made it like an appendix or like a little asterisk is that even when we start to talk about that, we're already using confessional language, right? Right. Tulip is essentially a distillation of the Synod of Dort, which is part of the confessional standards of the reformed continental tradition, the the Dutch Calvinism that, you know, the, um, uh, CRC, those kinds of denominations. So we don't want to exclude the confessions, but I think at times we can make, um, specific, Uh, subscription to a confession and membership in a confessional church, we can make that a uh, requirement when in reality, if we're talking about what it means to be reformed from a theological perspective, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. And if it is like you and I aren't reformed because I don't go to a confessional church and you don't go to a confessional church. Correct. Right. 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 So the goal was to try to find a way, so to speak, that would impound all the essentials of what we think it means doctrinally and theologically to be reformed without being like unnecessarily dismissive of certain people as part of the groups. Because you're right. So here's what's awesome is that there is a lot in here that would segregate other religious themes or traditions, uh, especially if we say like, you know, some people will say like, well, I'm a four point Calvinist, which doesn't make any sense, of course. Right. But it's not it's not like a buffet. We're saying that they're, they're logical and each of them kind of bleed over and support. They add buttress to one another. Uh, but that being the case, like you already said, if somebody were to go through, which I highly encourage this, go through and listen to all of the different podcasts, like just pick one episode from each of them and you will see how remarkably different they are, which is really yeah. their beauty. But we find in the, this kind of Calvinist expression, both something that is particularly suited toward the nuance of what it means to follow God closely and to have fidelity to the scriptures while at the same time celebrating that we're all very different people and God has us on different journeys, but we are wrapped up and united in this 
single cause. So, you know, like some of us, we're all from different parts of the country. Some of us are vocational in vocational ministry. Others are not. Some of us speak with strange Southern accents. <laughs> Most of us speak normally. So there's all of this wonderful diversity, but the unity in the Calvinist expression uh, we found to be the thing that really united, united us together in a kind of a extreme brotherhood. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the next C is covenantal, and we're not going to spend any time on this at all, because we did a whole episode on covenant theology and the the sort of the area that we were excluding or that we'd be excluding in this point would be kind of the John MacArthur style Calvinist. So right. it's probably true to say that John MacArthur is a Calvinist in the broad sense of the term and that he more or less affirms all five points of TULIP, but um, we wouldn't be able to say that he's covenantal in any sense of the word because he is a dispensationalist. And so that's not to say that dispensationalists are bad people or that they um, are somehow unsaved or anything of that nature. It's just, they're not, they're not reformed. Um, And there are people that are listening to this podcast um, of all sorts that are probably not going to like that. But if we're looking at the historic definition of what it means to be reformed, um, what it means to be reformed and what reformed is came into being 200 years before dispensationalism even existed. So we wanted to exclude that um, because we think that it is a a sort of a substandard way of interpreting the scriptures. And, you know, one of our main goals in this um, podcast network is to provide doctrinally sound content that's edifying. And so we have to make some decisions about like who's not going to be considered doctrinally sound for our purposes. And so John MacArthur's great. Um, I, it's a funny story. I actually, um, I don't know why, but like, I felt like I should listen to John MacArthur. Do you have any of those podcasts where like, you just keep trying to go back to it and listen to it? You really feel like you should. And the very first episode that downloaded was like God's plan for Israel. And it was like an exposition of Daniel. And I made it like two episodes in and I was like, Nope, deleted. Um, I just couldn't do it because it was all about like, well, this is so radically clear. And then in one of his um, one of his like trailers for the next series, he was like, Revelation is really the easiest book to understand. You just have to put it on a timeline. And I was like, nope, I'm out. Um, (laughs) So that's not to say John MacArthur is a bad teacher or that he's wrong in everything or uh, you shouldn't listen to him. But for our purposes and from our perspective, that is an area that we want to make sure we're clear on that God interacts with and saves his people by means of covenant. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just realized that we're kind of like recording a podcast about podcasts, which maybe is not all that interesting. But the whole point of this discussion is to emphasize that whenever you get together a group of people, you also want there to be some sense for when somebody who isn't familiar with that group starts to engage with it. There's like a common standard. And, And also we want this to be, like you said, a trusted source, a ministry, as it were, for blessing others, encouraging people and challenging them in their faith. And we got to have some guidelines for that. Right. I do want people to feel like, well, if Tony said that here is another podcast that I should look at, that they can trust that they're going to find in so much as they find your opinion trustworthy, that those are going to be really quality recommendations. So in some way, it's like, a, you know, my industry, again, we have to do a lot with information, information costs, like this lowers information costs. Like it gives you a, a great way to get access to a lot of different things, knowing that there is this strong common element of which primarily I think most of our listeners are going to say, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with my faith. Yeah. And so the final, um, the final C, uh, besides confessionalism is Catholic. Now, sometimes when people define this, this, 
They use the term creedal, but I prefer the term Catholic. And the reason for that is that Catholic is a term that predates the Roman Catholic Church. And so actually by adding the term Roman to the term Catholic, they're invalidating the fact that they're part of the Catholic Church. And so Catholic simply means universal. So this is talking about the faith that has been handed down to us by the apostles and has been entrusted to the church and promulgated throughout the history of the church, not Roman Catholic. And so the primary markers of this would be adherence to the Nicene Creed and adherence to the Chalcedonian definition. Um, And basically saying, like, I affirm the first five uh, ecumenical councils, what they teach, not necessarily their like conciliar authority, but that they what what was taught by those first five councils of the church, the five great councils is a faithful representation of scripture. And so you could also, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that we're trying to preserve the alliteration, you could also say apostolic, which is the term the creed uses, right? One holy Catholic yep. and apostolic church. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of there basically to say, well, we, our podcast network is Christian, distinctively Christian. In addition to, or I suppose if you're going in concentric circles, uh, in addition to the fact that we are this particular kind of Christian being covenantal Calvinists, we're also Christians. And that's important as a marker for who we are. Yeah. And I want other people who are listening in eavesdropping for our permission, if you will, in our conversation to, to continue to get to know a little bit about where we come from, how we think, what we right. think is important, because the debate about what does it mean to be reformed, that's like dropping a bomb in a group, especially among like reformed people. If you just drop that question, you should just run and leave the room because it's right. about to blow up, especially if you have a lot of people from different denominational backgrounds or have different denominational fidelities, some are stronger than others. It's a really great debate to have. So we wanted to make sure that we were making it plain what we believed without being like super crazy exclusive. But I do love that you just like history juked everybody on that <laughs> reference to, to Catholic that you were just like, this is the right way. Right. And then the last C that we kind of put as an asterisk, um, like I said, it's it sort of is a culmination of all the other points that the, the Catholic faith is embodied in the, the Westminster Confession, for example. All of the things that are in the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian definition are embodied or are encapsulated in the, the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession. Um, and so we didn't want to use this as a restriction. Like I said, mostly because um, there are a lot of people who would affirm in in whole the Westminster Confession, myself being one of them, there's not a point in the, the Westminster Confession, particularly as it's adopted by modern ecclesiastical bodies, that I would object to or, or would have to take an exception to on an ordination exam, for example. Um, and I, I don't want to speak for Jesse, but I, I can't imagine there's anything in the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith that you take exception to. No, not at all. Right. Not so... The, the problem with defining it as confessional is that is another term that needs some strict definition, right? Yes. Yeah, are you baggage. confessional? Right. Are you confessional if you don't go to a confessional church? Uh, well, technically speaking, you don't have to even affirm the confessions to be a part of a confessional church. Right. So there's all this definition that I think, you know, can just be distracting in the conversation. Um, and before, like, you start pounding out your hate mails on your keyboards, I just want to say, like, it's not the case that these the way that we're using these terms doesn't necessarily match with the historic use of these terms. And I, I understand that. So historically speaking, to be reformed or to be Calvinist, that's exactly the same thing. Those words right. are synonyms, historically speaking. And that those terms, Calvinist or reformed, refers to 
um, the specific body of churches that came out of the Reformation that followed Calvin and the trajectory was the Westminster tradition in the British Isles and the um, Dutch reform tradition and the, the Swiss reform tradition coming on the continent. So that would include things like adherence to a confession, um, infant baptism, uh, certain ideas about church governance and relationships between church and states. Historically, all of that has been definitive of what it means to be reformed. But words change their meanings over time. And in our in our generation, in our context, that term has taken on a different meaning. So I don't want to get too bogged down in historical arguments. So I just want to put that on the table. Um, Jesse, do you have anything to add kind of about our definitions or thoughts before we kind of move into what I think is the, the meat of tonight's show? No, I'm ready. I'm ready for some meat. I, the only thing I will say is that, I mean, hopefully people know if they listen to us for any length of time that we love us some confessions like that. Those are valuable parts of all of almost all of our discussions actually. Yeah. And we recommend, we've spoken so many times about what a useful resource they are for people. And a lot of what we'd already laid out. And again, this is like kind of, it, it's our little group. So we're not trying to say like everybody should define themselves as reformed in this particular way. Right. But we're just shedding some light on a process and what we think is like a really exciting kind of venture. But a lot of what's encapsulated in some of those confessions would be redundant to try to overemphasize because like you already said before, it, it's kind of embedded. It, even the language that we're using the ideas that are part of the other three C's, a lot of that is overlapping. But what I love about this is like, if you and I went to covenantal churches, they would likely, or confessional churches rather, they would likely be different confessions. Right. Um, so what's nice yeah. is like to be part of a group where we can talk about that without it being like the hammers that we feel like we need to raise and beat each other over the head with. So yeah. there's great value in not defining it so strictly that we aren't bringing in this lovely brotherhood of differing ideas. So it's kind of like it's fuzzy on the edges, but clear in the center because we, we know what we believe. We know what we want to make sure that we emphasize. And at the same time, it is like a really, really kind of broad spectrum, even within those central ideas. So I love that that's where we're at. And I hope people are going to like, I'm really stoked for this. I hope people are going to listen to these podcasts and get a sense of the amazing things that God is doing through the reform perspective, even as that's like slightly nuanced in each different way. Yeah. So to kind of wrap up this section, what I, what I want our listeners to hear is that if you go to, you know, let's say you don't listen to the reformed outlook or fast God stuff or five for fruit, and you are trying to think about, well, I don't know if I want to invest my time in these podcasts. You can be confident that if this, if, if it's a show that's part of the society of reformed podcasters, you're going to be getting uh, content that falls within those boundaries. So you don't have to spend all of the energy of listening to several shows to figure out where a group is doctrinally, because that can be really frustrating. Like we're all limited. Right. Time is the one commodity that we can't make more to, more of. We can't get more time. And so we want to make the best use of our time. And I know there's been times that I've listened to a podcast that had a great name or it had a great tag or whatever. And I get like a two episodes into it and I find out there's some really squirrely theology that I don't know what to do with. And I, it's like, well, I've invested this time to want to keep going. You don't have to worry about that with these, these podcasts in the society of reform podcasters. The flip side of that is if you are interested, if you have a podcast, you're interested in joining the society, then you know what the boundaries are. 
So we, we don't have a formal application process or anything like that. But if you have a show that falls within those boundaries and you're looking to be a part of this, then reach out to us and we'd be happy For to sure. talk about it. For sure. But if you, you know, I love Jordan Cooper. I, I love to make fun of Jordan Cooper, but I only love to make fun of him because I love Jordan Cooper. But if Jordan Cooper emailed me and said, I want to be part of your show, which is never going to happen. But if he did, I would say no, because you're not, you don't fit within this part of our definition. Right. Yeah, right. I think that's super helpful. I re- again, I'm really hoping that people go check all those out. Plus, if you don't have enough time, stop sleeping. Or, I mean, seriously, um, Carrie's podcast is five minutes. Yep, exactly. And it's awesome. It, it that's is what awesome. makes that so great. It, actually, all these are of varying length, to be yep. honest. Yeah, we got a little something a little bit for everybody, which is great. Yeah, like a box of chocolates. Exactly. <laughs> you nougat people, we got something for you. You caramel people, it's in there as well. So jump on it. Reformpodcasts.com. Yes, except I just said you do know what you're going to get. Well, and there's then a, a box map on those boxes. You it's gotta true. use the map. Why didn't Forrest ever use the map? I don't know if that's a new thing since that movie. I, I've did. I, I've always seen the map because that's how my wife tells me which ones to eat. Yeah, the worst is when you have the map, but then like somebody puts the box on upside down, <laughs> and you get it, and you're like, "Hmm, creme de mint," and then you get like strawberry boogers. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is disgusting. This doesn't yeah, stra- Strawberry booger sounds absolutely yeah, it's nasty. pretty bad. Yeah. I've never had that, but it does seem like a horrible combination of... R- r- talk about total depravity, perverting something that should have been good. Yeah. Ugh. I feel like in a box of chocolates, probably like 60% of the chocolates when it's one of those variety ones are just awful. Really? Yeah. I, I just... I feel like you have to... Like every once in a while, I work in the transplant clinic and every once in a while, a patient will bring in like a gift, like a box of chocolates is really common. They'll bring it in around the holidays. We'll have these big stacks of chocolate boxes. Yeah. And by the time I get out there, cause it's in a different office, all that's left is like the, like the ones that feel like they have like wood pulp inside of them. Man. So, so now that we're like officially way off the rails, here's a quick question about that. Yes. So, you know, like anniversaries of yeah. various lengths, especially marriage have like particular gifts, like paper, I think is the first one. And, then yeah. it goes to all kinds of like weird metals, nickel, uranium, whatever. Um, <laughs> is is the is the quintessential common traditional gift for transplant chocolates? I don't know. I don't know. We have a lot of different stuff that people bring in. I appreciate all my patients. I say my patients like I'm a doctor. I appreciate all the patients that we have in the clinic. Um, and I really love when they bring in gifts. Sometimes I want to be like, here, can you write a manual for all the other Nates who are in our clinic that treat <laughs> us like garbage about how to be good patients? But um, I don't know. People bring chocolate. Sometimes we get lots of bread. Bread is really? a good. Yeah. People bake stuff for us. Oh, um, we have one, pay, one group that brings in a couple people that bring in uh, like a sausage and cheese platter. That's really nice. Man, you know what? Even though it's a small thing, to me, just on the outside, there's something really romantic and endearing about a person that's like, I can't, there's something spiritual in this. So I'll leave it to you to to make the (laughs) metaphor happen, Tony. But um, there's something wonderful about a person who's like, let's say, just had a liver transplant or like a kidney transplant, whatever. Like basically just had their life saved. They know there's no way they can repay that. So so they're down with that. So I love, they're just like, here's some sausage and cheese. Like I kind of respect that. It's kind of like the kind way of saying, like, obviously, I mean, I, Presumably they paid for it in money, but there's more to right. the cost of that. Yeah. There's more of the value and then just, just the check that you have to send over to the hospital. But I do love that they give a little something back. It's kind yeah. of like as if to say here, you know, there's a lot of grace and mercy I've been shown 
And I'm not going to try to repay it. I respect that there's a healthy boundary here. But I just want you to have some cubed cheese and some yeah. delicious smoked meat. Exactly. I thought you were going to say there's something really romantic about sausages. And I was like, yes, there is. <laughs> smoked sausage and cheese is the most romantic thing on earth. I, I could have saved us a lot of time and just stopped my whole rants. <laughs> and there's a lot of things romantic about sausage and yes. cheese. So, yes. so speaking of meat, which you said like, we're about to get into the meat of this bad boy. See, we brought this all the way around. I love it. So um, what else was on your mind? So what I wanted to talk about now that we've got the kind of technical definitions of reformed out, one of the things that I've been noticing as I've been listening to different podcasts, um, Two Thieves podcast over on the Brian Media Network did a similar episode and they talked about being reformed in a different way. And they talked about how what, what really is at the core of being reformed capital R reformed is being willing to be lowercase R reformed by the word of God constantly. And Mm so I've been really thinking through that and wrestling with that. And the more I think about it, the more true it is, is that, yeah, we're reformed. We have this body of doctrine that we believe is the correct summary of scripture. And so we're hesitant to um, revise that, even though there are um, there are ecclesiastical courts in place to do just that. But we're hesitant to revise our theology, which isn't bad. Once you land on a good right. theology, it's good to stay there, right? We don't want to be tossed about by winds of doctrine. But at the same time, another rally cry of the Reformation was Semper Reformanda which wasn't an excuse to just question the church every second. That's how a lot of people take it, that like, well, Semper Reformata means I should reinvent theology every year. No. What it means is that the church as a whole should always be reforming, but individuals should also be being reformed as well. So I wanted to try something, and we'll we'll repeat this at the end of the episode, but I would like to use the hashtag, I am reformed. Right. I want to use the hashtag. And what I would like people to do with that hashtag is share ways that God is reforming them in the last week. So you might go on Twitter and say, um, I prayed with a coworker today. Hashtag I am reformed. And that's just one way to show people how God is working in your life to change your heart. I didn't look up the Greek and I probably should have. But the passage that we, we quote often, right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? R.C. Sproul's show is called Renewing Your Mind, and it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, 12, 2 is just that part. And you could probably translate that part that's be transformed. You could probably actually translate that as be reformed by the renewing of your mind as well. It's that same kind of idea that you're taking something that was one thing and you're shaping it and shifting it to a different thing. And the, the means to do that is by the renewing of your mind, which is, I think, pretty unique in the Reformed tradition is this emphasis on spiritual renewal, starting with the life of the mind. Right. So, and that passage is great because the, the, the verb being used, you know this better than I, but the verb being used there is, is one of continual working out. And it, it's juxtaposed against or implied in that text that by just sitting there, everything atrophies. So we're talking about an active participation in being renewed and reformed. Right. Yeah. And so I wanted tonight to talk a little bit um, about how it is that God is working in our lives. So um, we, you know, we didn't plan this ahead of time. We don't have a script. Um, We're not going to like share our elevator pitch for Christianity. But I wanted to just spend some time talking about ways that God has been moving in our lives. So do you want to start or should I start? Yeah, sure. I can I give it a try. Okay. I love that you mentioned script because we've never had a script as if that's like, true. <laughs> that is very true. Thought. <laughs> We've been reading from a script. Tony said reformed. 
Turn to page six. Yes. Yeah, that's that's never absolutely happened. Although one time I did have that really detailed outline and then your computer ate your audio. Oh yeah, that's the 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 lost episode. Yeah, that was the Holy Spirit saying don't don't be innate and script yeah. everything out. Stop it. Just basically drop kicked us right yeah. off the internet on that one. It's true. Yeah, so I mean I love this topic because here's I here's how I think about this, if this is like some good prolegama for me where where I'm at. And maybe I'll I'll say this and then I'll kinda of kick it over to you to start. Um, but I, it always strikes me as odd how we could, we tend to have really in-depth heated sometimes, sometimes not conversations about what it means to be reformed. And yet without being particularly, um, pejorative or judgmental about people, it seems to be sometimes we put so much energy into defining that in a cerebral sense that sometimes we just forget to ask because we're exhausted whether or not our actual lives are being reformed yeah. by the stuff that we're trying to debate and understand. So it's almost like somebody who says like, that claims like they're a runner, you know, like people who, who run, who like to run and you kind of find out, yeah, like they get runners world magazine and they read all these books and they know about technique, but they just never get out on the track. Right. And in a sense, I suppose they are a runner or at least they think they are, but what's the purpose? What's the whole point? of knowing all this amazing stuff if it isn't actually internalized, if it isn't actually who you are. So this is a really good challenge because even as I'm talking, it's forcing me to think about how has God been uh, transforming me? How, how Am I even aware or open to looking at, at him in that way in my actual life? Like right now, like like this week. Yeah. So now that I, I bought you like plenty of time to come up with a super slick answer, um, I'm just going to let you go first. You see how I did that? Just turn that right yeah. back around. More intro. Yeah. So I think when I look over the last, you know, two weeks, three weeks of my life, um, there's been a couple things that have um, happened. Right. So I, w- I had an opportunity to um, share the word with the congregation while dad was on vacation. And for me, um, really diving into the scriptures um you know, reading scriptures for your own personal devotion is one thing and great. And I, I strive to do that. And God has really been shaping me through that practice as well. But when you're preparing, um, a sermon to deliver to a congregation, there's a different level of gravity. And so I've had the opportunity to, um, share with the congregation two or three times over the last year. And I think that's one way that God has really been reforming me is recognizing the gravity of, preaching as a tool that he has given the church. So even this morning, I'm sitting in um, church and dad's sermons are always on point, but I'm weak and frail. And so my my mind wanders. And there was a moment where I, my, I caught my mind wandering to something that I was reading um, this morning. I read a little bit before church. And all of a sudden it was like my thoughts that I had while I was preparing for the sermon snapped back to me because as I was preparing for the sermon, I was praying, God, I know that this is not just a speech that I am. I am speaking on your behalf to these people. So please put the correct words in my mouth to touch them in their heart where they need to be touched and to share your gospel and your law with them. And that prayer came back to me as I was distracted this morning. And all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, this isn't just dad, you know, preaching a sermon, this is God addressing me through dad. 
And so I need to be on focus. And it just really drew my attention back to the sermon and back to what dad was preaching this morning um, in a way that hasn't really hit me in the past. So I think that's one way really through through how God has put me and positioned me in a, in a place where I do have the opportunity and the responsibility to fill the pulpit once in a while. It's really focused me more on understanding what what preaching is. And just as a side note, um, I, I didn't really intend to do this, but um, a professor that I never had, but was a, a really well-respected professor at my seminary, um, just recently died. And so I wanted to say, um, if you have never had a chance to read anything by Haddon Robinson, um, there's a good chance that you've, your pastor has been influenced by him. So take some time, look up an article that was written by Haddon Robinson or listen to a sermon of his, if you can find it, um, expositional and expository preaching, uh, really came out of Haddon's school of thought, at least our, the current modern iteration of it. Um, things like if you've ever heard your pastor say, this is the big idea of the text that's probably coming from Haddon. So that's a little right. bit of a, a rabbit trail, but it didn't feel right, especially talking about preaching, not to honor him as someone who has been such a sort of, um, a bulwark for the faith and such a mo- uh, monster, such a giant in the field of um, in the field of preaching, um, he literally wrote the book on preaching that is is used in most seminaries. That's true. So, it, what about you? Well, can I respond to that? Because sure, that was let's talk about that for a second. Because one of the things that's even preaches to me, pun intended, as you said, that was <laughs> you know one of the things I think that Calvinism pushes against the grain in the modern church context is how much stress it puts on the importance of teaching and preaching. Yeah. You know, Calvinism or the Reformed tradition has always encouraged that the people themselves read the scriptures. And so it demands that the minister should be a specialist in the scriptures. So a preacher's life should be devoted to the full counsel of God. And any man in the ministry who does not devote his time and talents to understanding the word of God is really not a guy who should be in the ministry of all, yeah, at all. Absolutely. And, you know, I find that what you said is encouraging. That challenges me as well, because so much of what is going on, I think, in the modern church is the fact that, you know, the church is not drawing people, so to speak, um, as it used to be. And if I were to try to like diagnose why that is without getting on a, a major rabbit trail, it would just be that it's probably because we're not, we're not preaching the gospel. People are yeah. not hearing the gospel. So like when pro- professed evangelicals preach today, they tend to say things like, you know, come to Christ because if you do, you'll enjoy life or come to Jesus, he'll make you happy or come to Jesus, he'll give you peace or he may put your marriage back in the right place. But this is why Calvinism is so helpful to us, at least I think. Because yeah. Calvinism says, and it's been so helpful to me, that the gospel is not intended by God primarily to be utility to men. So it's for God's glory. Right. So we're not here as preachers to say to men that, you know, Jesus can make you good and make you happy primarily. Of course, like he can do that. He does do that. He does make us glad. He comes and heals our problems. But that's not the first thing. So the fact that that's always been a part of the Reformed tradition just makes me happy because to me in my life, that's been like a giant centering thing. Anytime I tend to kind of go off course, I end up somehow the God leads me back to that primary concern that the gospel is for his glory and that it needs to be preached and it just needs to be unvarnished and put out in front of people because that's really what we desperately need. So I I don't know. I just kind of wanted to amen that in a really long way. That's all good. Okay, great. Um, So here's the thing I was, I was thinking about is 
One of the things I think the Lord is doing in my life that is part of a, a reformation for me personally is I was thinking back recently, you know, one of the wonderful things that we have in the Reformed tradition is lots of wonderful men who have been examples. And we affirm how important it is to stand on the shoulders of great men who have come before us, who have thought deeply and spiritually about so many things and have used all of the scriptures, again, as like a sieve to process that thought. And I was thinking back to just how like Luther and Calvin were converted. And we've talked a little bit about this, about this before. This is not my experience, but I love that this is a experience and the one that's used a lot. And that is that they were converted because they just searched the scriptures. Yeah, They, they literally just opened up the scriptures that are available to them and read and the spirit of God moved mightily in their lives. And, and for both of them, I know that he awakened them to his sin. So I have this quote that I love from Calvin, you know, when he was basically aware of just how sinful he was, he said, I've been taught that Jesus Christ, the son of God has ransomed me by his death, but I have never felt in my heart, the power of his redemption. And that last phrase has been the thing that's been haunting me for a little while. And the Lord is using in conjunction with the scriptures to reform me. So the question I've been really dealing with is, Yes, I know a lot of truth. Yes, we can give intellectual assent to all these things and be excited about them. But what is the extent to which I have felt in my heart the power of his redemption? Yeah. And that's like a hard thing uh, because I, what I'm not saying is that we need to feel about our theology the way that like the common Mormon will come to you and say, well, that's how we affirm that the Book of Mormon is correct because you'll feel burning in your bosom. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like a deep-centered passionate faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that is childlike in its simplicity, but resolute in its adulthood. And that leads us into joy that is beyond circumstance. So I really feel that the Lord is pushing me out in that and saying how much, like basically what he's saying to me is put on your sneakers and go for a run, put on your shoes and go for a run. And so to mix every metaphor I've used tonight, that's basically (laughs) like where where I feel like he's reforming me is like, have I felt in my heart the power of his redemption? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that is just so good is that so often I think reformed folk can get so wrapped up in, um, you know, which which obscure theologian that has just recently been translated into English are you struggling through? Well. You know, that's that's great. Like I'm reading Cornelius Van Til and Herman Bobbing. I'm reading those books, too. But at the end of the day, if that is not actually driving you to worship and you're not actually being reformed by the word of God, that that's a problem. And, you know, I think so often we get so wrapped up in the kind of cold intellectualism partially because I think it's a reaction, you know, most, most, um, reformed guys and girls, but more so the guys that are, are kind of our age in their late, late twenties, early to mid thirties, this sort of generation of reformed folk, the people that, um, cut their teeth on Mark Driscoll and John Piper and Matt Chandler and are starting to get into some more of the depths of the reformed tradition. Um, we are reacting against the emotionalism of the evangelical world that we came out of, right? right. We, we became Christians or were raised in these big mega churches in a lot of cases where it was all about the experience and it was all about the, um, 
the feeling of the Holy Spirit. I remember I used to, when I thought the Holy Spirit was coming, I would get these goosebumps, like legitimately would feel goosebumps. And that was how I knew the Holy Spirit was there. Goosebumps? Right. Ghostbumps, Holy Ghostbumps. And, um, I remember when I first became reformed and I first started to get my head around it, it was like any sort of sense of emotionalism. I just pushed to the side. It's like, well, that's, that's not true religion. But then I started reading the Puritans and the Puritans had this emphasis and this premium on experimental religion. And they don't mean like try a bunch of religions out. What they mean is like actually experiencing the joy of your salvation. Right. Right. Psalm 51. Um, the, the thing that David is most concerned about losing is God's Holy Spirit and the joy of his salvation. And I think if you look at that Psalm, those are those are one and the same thing. Right. David was not concerned that he was going to lose his salvation in terms of his um, his status with God. He knew he was part of the covenant people. He trusted in the Messiah. He knew that ultimately in the last day he would be saved. But what he was concerned about was that the joyful, warm fellowship of the Holy Spirit in his life would be taken away from him because of his sin. And so he begged God not to take that away. And I've I've been reading um, the other thing that, you know, to maybe kind of transition into the next point. The other thing I've been reading is um, Learning to Love the Psalms by W. Robert Godfrey. And his, it's, you know, the Psalm, the Psalter in the Reformed tradition um, is has a unique role in the development of Reformed theology. And some of that has to do with the regular principle we've talked about in the past. But what what Dr. Godfrey makes the point in saying is that in the Psalms, we have every range of human emotion. And even even in some cases where he's, he says, the psalmist says, God, just leave me alone for a little while. Not because he was being punished. He just was sick of working. He was tired and he wanted God to just leave him alone, right? Job says the same thing in a different context. Turn your face away from me. Stop looking at me. And there's this range of emotions, but when's the last time that one of us came before God and prayed to confess our sins and said, Lord, do whatever you want to me, but please don't take away the joy of my salvation. Right. Please restore in me a right spirit that can enjoy fellowship with you and with your people. I mean, that's deep stuff. And I think I've been reading the Psalms. I've added Psalms daily to my to my daily reading program. And just look just being in the Psalms has reinforced that the full range of human emotion is not only appropriate for a Christian, but is necessary for a true understanding of what it means to be a Christian is you have to be able to step into the sadness of life, the the tragedy of sin. You have to be able to step into that. So then when God has restored you, you can use that experience to comfort others. Exactly. There's all these different things that I think sometimes we just kind of push to the side because we don't want to get swept up into the emotionalism of the Pentecostal movement or the evangelical movement or whatever movement we're, we're coming out of. Um, and then we, we put some sort of academic veneer on it. We'd be like, well, that's just a Charles Finney thing. We don't do that. Right. Well, no, like that's a sin thing. God tells us to experience joy. He tells us to weep with those who weep. So if we refuse to do that, then we're not being obedient. Right. And sometimes I can take for granted that I cannot destroy my identity in God, especially when we talk about perseverance of the saints, right? But what I can easily do is absolutely disrupt my harmony with God by quenching the spirit. So this idea of making it a priority to be, to, I think as Spurgeon said, like to keep short accounts with God, especially when it comes to sin, is something yeah. that I really am learning. Because 
let me just make an obvious statement that nobody's going to disagree with me at, but we've all thought about this at some point in our heads in some subtle region of our brains. And that is being reformed is not about reading like the right things, right? It's not about like having Voss or Bob Inc. on your desk or going through Owen or Hodge or Whitfield, whatever. It's not about those things. And everybody would agree with me on that for right. sure. But the problem is like when a medium becomes more fascinated with itself than the truth it's seeking to communicate, that medium becomes useless. Yeah. And I really have seen sometimes, as crazy as it sounds, reformed theology become a really useless thing because yeah. it's not being put into practice. And I have been there many times where I'm thinking... I'm reading something to teach somebody else. I'm reading something because I'd really like to have a more expansive knowledge on this so I can regurgitate it at some point in the future. Or I'm reading about something, and yes, it's impacting my mind, and it's giving me a different level of intellectual ascent, but it's not impacting my faith. Yeah. And, and I think that can be such a dangerous thing because we're getting wrapped up in great, astounding ideas that sometimes lead us to doxology, but do not lead us to greater faith such that we are willing to praise God for something great we've read either in the scriptures or from a really brilliant reformed theologian. But then we have car trouble the next day and we behave like none of that actually matters. Yeah. So that's like the really hard rub for me is I really want to pull out all of the vicissitudes in my attitude and in behavior, especially like in sickness and stuff is, is trying. And that's such a really hard thing that I do not do well. And the Lord is continuing to reform literally me and how I approach those things because I really want to take those the waves out of my attitude and my thought process and that's just a hard thing but outside of being encouraged by the way the reformed tradition brings the centrality of God and his sovereignty into pristine focus and how there's support for especially like you said among the Puritans to like wage war I mean you're only going to get like a guy like John Owen that says like be killing sin or sin will be killing you like that that's not something you just find except in like missional wear right. and, uh, you know, in the form tradition. So uh, like you're not hearing that in, in a Pentecostal church, for instance, um, at least not the ones I've been to. So I just think there's so much here that I find supporting of the real battle in faith. And yeah, I'm just trying to get equipped. But sometimes I feel like getting equipped is like you get thrown out there and say, all right, here's your time to, to make war. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's another thing too, is like how frequently do we make war either against our sin or against right. the, the evil of the world? Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned a couple times that I'm really trying to work on Bible memorization and I've, I've figured out um, some new features that I hadn't been using in this scripture typer app. So you can import um, of, you can import a long section of scripture and it will have you memorize them at, um, as individual verses, but then once you get to a certain point, it enables the ability to memorize, to repeat it as a whole section. And so I've really been trying to memorize the the passage in Ephesians about the armor of God. And one thing that I didn't realize in that passage is the, the whole thing is about prayer. You know, we a lot of times we think about the armor of God as like as like these other additional things that we, we put on to help us fight the devil or to fight against injustice. But the whole thing is about being in the word and praying in the spirit. That's the armor of God is being in the word and praying in the spirit. 
And, and for me, like understanding that and recognizing that that has changed my perspective on evangelism and spiritual warfare. And now, you know, I've got unsaved coworkers, I've got unsaved family. And instead of kind of like strategizing and trying to like pick out opportunities and throw in subtle, clever hints about the gospel at, at key opportunities, I'm just spending time praying for them. And like the opportunities will come. Those will come and, and come into play. But if you don't start with prayer for, for, you know, your unsafe coworker or prayer about the evils of abortion, right? If you're just going to jump into that and start um, even good rhetorical arguments, you're still not quite getting there. You're not, you're not executing the sword of the spirit. You're not putting on the armor of God unless you have started with prayer. I think it was, was it Luther that said you haven't prepared well for your sermon unless you've prayed well? Yes, Something along that. those lines. I love that. To have prayed well is to have studied well. Right. And, and I think about that in all manner of work, actually. I think that that's true. I, I say that even when we are getting ready to practice uh, you know, music for a Lord's Day gathering, that when we get together on Thursday, to have prayed well is to have practiced well. Like that, that is the first work. And to your point, if you pray like that, like just praying for coworkers, praying for situations in the world, it messes you up, right? Because yeah. it, the, the Holy Spirit starts to work in your mind, in your heart, in a way that you thought you were sensitive to those things, or you thought you were interested in them. And by praying about them regularly, it just destroys your worldview. It breaks down walls that you didn't even knew that you had. It yeah. makes you more compassionate. It makes you more loving. It gives you a different sense of urgency in evangelism for those matters. It gives you a different sense of justice. And uh, it, what, what makes me upset about that in my own life is that there is a means of grace right there. There is a mode of transformation that it's not that I do not think it is uh, effective. The sad reality is that I've left it undone and therefore I've probably missed out on yeah. its great effectiveness. Yeah. There's a downer for you. There is a downer for us. But <laughs> but that, the downer is only a downer if we don't take it and do something about it. Yeah. And get reformed over it, get reformed over it. And that's the whole point is that, um, you know, Paul in, in Romans is saying that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we don't do that. We don't do that by forcing more information into our brains. Right. right. It's great to read. It's really important to be well studied from an academic intellectual level um, to the to best of your ability, right? We're supposed to love God with not just our whole hearts, but also with our whole minds. So that means taking time to read um, theological work that you are able to. Not everybody is capable of reading the more advanced stuff. That's totally fine. But reading, picking up a Christian biography, picking up, um, you know, a children's catechism, if that's what you need to do, that's important. But the transforming and the renewing of our minds starts with prayer and it starts with offering ourselves offering our bodies as sacrifices to the lord making ourselves presentable by means of faith and holiness and that that's really where it, when i think about what the reformed tradition focuses on and kind of the main overarching meta distinctive of the reformed tradition is that in its emphasis on justification it doesn't lose the emphasis on holiness and sanctification. Right on. So Lutheran, you know, I, I don't know if we have any Lutherans listening to this, but if, it, if we do, we might start a war. Um, Lutheran theology tends to focus so much on justification. 
it almost collapses sanctification into glorification that happens after death. Like if there's some, if there's some growth in holiness, this side of death, that's fine. But like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't strive too hard. This is a character, but this is the way it comes across. Sometimes we shouldn't strive too hard because justification is really all that matters. Right. Right. So they lose that focus on sanctification. They lose the fact that the Bible tells us to examine our fruit and to see if we're in the faith. And the way we examine our fruit and see if we're in the faith is not by just looking at theological propositions that we've affirmed, even if we've affirmed them with our whole hearts. The way that we examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, the way that we make our election sure is by looking at the fruit that's been produced in our lives the good works that we've done, the fruit that the spirit has brought forth. Those are ways that we examine ourselves. Then you have like the Roman Catholic tradition that has lost its emphasis on justification and collapsed it into sanctification. That if you're not sanctified, then you're not justified. And I think reformed theology really sits in the middle. And that's something that I've, I've really been impressed with is I can't ever stop striving for holiness. There has to be a constant, striving for holiness. I constantly have to till the soil of my heart in order for the spirit to bring forth fruit. He he could bring forth fruit without me tilling that soil, but he's probably not going to. And so I constantly have to be putting the seed of the word in there. I have to constantly be tilling up the soil and rooting out the weeds of sin and pulling those things out in order for the spirit to bring forth that fruit that he has declared and decided he wants to bring forth. And that's a good example of where there's a wonderful coalescence in consummate harmony of being well-studied and being well-practiced. Because one of the things that Calvin was keen to clarify was this difference between synergism and monergism, especially in salvation, and clarifying justification and sanctification. Yep. And and not making, sh- making sure that it wasn't just all about either we bring to God ourselves so that he can save us, or conversely, after we're saved, that we can just live like hell until we get to heaven. So by understanding those, it should bleed over and push us into a place we want to practice and be more reformed. Yeah. The other thing that struck me is, um, I don't, I, we've definitely never done this before, and I don't often hear this, but I, I was really just so struck with what you had said. I feel like it would be appropriate just to pray for a second right now um, sure. to, to that end, both for like the society that we just spoke about, this podcast thing that we're doing. Uh, for us uh, and for like anybody who's kind of within earshot. So is that cool? I mean, you can't really say no because you wouldn't That's decline true. a prayer opportunity. That's true. Um, yeah, let me, before we close, is it cool if I just say a word of prayer? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Righteous Father, we just thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who even now has a ministry external to us who is uh, representing us And we thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit to us, who is within us as well, convicting us of sin. And so our prayer just for Tony and I and for those listening for the podcast society is just that you would do your good work here, that you would come and sift the soil, that you would come and spur us on toward holiness, that we would recognize that the fitting life that you've set us apart for is the one that is serious about being holy before you about giving all and all of our first fruits, our best efforts to you and loving our neighbors like we love ourselves. Father, we want to get serious and get after that. And we realize that most of the time we're blinded to the very things that are in our way. So will you, as you did for Saul, as it were, drop the scales from our eyes. Let us see again. Help us to see if we're in the faith. Help us to test our fruit. Help us to see whether it tastes sweet or whether it's very bitter. And especially in instances where we are prone to act 
just like everybody else around us? Will you bring conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment to remind us that we are formed and that we desire to be reformed in every way and in every place? God, we trust only in you to do this work, and we want to come before you acknowledging that as you give us strength and energy and awareness, we will participate in our sanctification as you give us the power to do so. We pray all of this because of Jesus, for it's in his name we find our power, we find our access to you, and by the Holy Spirit we trust that you will complete the work which you have begun, even in Tony and I. So we are thankful for that, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, it almost feels sacrilegious to like close out with our normal stuff, but we're going to anyways. So, um, so <laughs> before we so good at transitions. <laughs> before we do that, um, just a reminder: we would love it if we could start uh, a movement on Facebook and Twitter, and I guess Instagram if you want to. I don't, I don't follow Instagram, so I won't be able to see it. But if you could share with the world ways that God has been reforming you this week and use the hashtag I am reformed. So it might be as simple as I saw a beautiful sunset this morning. And my first thought was to praise the Lord. I am hashtag I am reformed. And what Jesse and I will do is depending on how many we get, we're going to take a little bit of time each week, as long as we keep getting them. And we're going to read some testimony of what God is doing in people's lives. So a semi-legal disclaimer, if you use this hashtag, uh, then you are giving us permission to read it on the air. So if you don't want that, don't use the hashtag. It's on Twitter. It's public. So that's that. So we would love to get lots of stories of what God's doing in his people and in his church. Um, it might be a Bible verse you're reading. Whatever you want to do, get as creative or as uncreative as you want to be. Um, we would just love to have that happen. I love this idea because, to bring it back a bit, you know, one of the clarion calls of the Reformation is the fact that all of this, this change is as much communal as it is personal. So I love this idea of like, let's encourage one another. Like, let's, let's get out. Let's get out there. Let's show each other that we are being reformed and let that be an edification to others. And I would love it if somebody does that on uh, Instagram. That yeah. would be awesome. If somebody has a picture of something that occurred where they felt that the Lord was reforming them in that moment. So I'm all this, all over this. I'm going to be doing this. I just think it's a great idea to do this kind of regularly. Yeah. So we should definitely throw it out there. So hashtag I am reformed. Yeah, that'd be great. So Jesse, how would people get a hold of us if they wanted to use this hashtag and let us know that they have done it? That's a great idea, Tony. Well, first you can use the hashtag I am reformed, just in case you hadn't heard that before. But you can email us at reformedbrotherhood at gmail.com. You can hit us up on the Twitter at reformedbrohood. Or you can leave us a voicemail. And speak about how the Lord's been reforming you. Tell us a story. Tell us what's going on in your life. And that number is 607-444-2767. Bros. That's right. So yeah, hit us up. We'd love to hear back. We, we are lonely. And we yes. need to know that we're not the only two people that the Lord is pounding on some serious reforming. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we look forward to seeing those um, testimonies to the way that the Lord has been working and moving in your life and reforming his people. And uh, until next week, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. <laughs>